And when Jesus had come into the upper room, he said to his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathed on them. So Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we breathe you in. But I pray that as a people, we would be so emptied of ourselves that there would be more and more room for you to fill us to overflowing with your Spirit. But I thank you for the cross that made that possible. I thank you for the resurrection that proved it happened. I thank you for the promise of your return that we anxiously look forward to. Until that day comes, Lord, may we remember that you have not left us here as orphans, but that you have, through the name of your Son and what he has done for us, given us a portion of yourself, the Holy Spirit of the living God that indwells us that gifts us, that unites us together, and that sends us out. Lord, may we not stop speaking about that which we've seen and heard, and may that be even true of what we see and hear in this place this morning. We look forward to the continued ministry of your Spirit in this place today. It's in the name of Jesus I pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen. Good morning. Please have a seat. We are in this series that we started a couple weeks ago in the Gospel of John called Sent to Make Disciples. And he says, at the end of the, John writes at the end of his Gospel, these things are written that you might believe and that in believing you would have life in his name. And so I, I'm praying, as many are praying, as we have a group of people praying before the service, that those that hear this message today who are unbelieving would stop be unbelieving and be believing in the power of the gospel that you're going to hear. Now, as I said, we're going through the gospel of John, and that might lead to a question, well, well, the gospel of John as compared to what? There are four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why are there four gospels? Well, because they were written to different audiences for different purposes, and I'm not going to play, lay them all out um, other than just to sort of to, to help you connect some of the dots. The gospel of Matthew was written to Jewish people to prove to them mostly and to us that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one, the one that all of the Old Testament promises speak of, starting all the way back in Genesis 3.15. And then Mark writes about how Jesus is a servant, and he came to serve. It says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And then Luke writes, because Luke was a physician, he writes more on the humanity of Jesus. That he was deity, but that in his humanness, he was the perfect sacrifice for us as humans. And then John writes, very simply, Jesus is God. And that theme comes out over and over and over again. The first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are what are called the synoptics. They, there's a lot of material in them that is repeated throughout those three Gospels. That's why if you're reading through them, you go, didn't I just read this? And you did in a lot of ways. When you get to the Gospel of John, that's not true anymore. More than 90% of the material in the Gospel of John is new material that is not found anywhere else. And there is a reason for that. John was the last disciple of Jesus, or the last apostle, who was left alive. And when he's looking back at the end of his days, when he's in Ephesus, after he's been, um, he was exiled in the island of Patmos for a while, and then he's brought to Ephesus as an old man, and he's writing about what is the most important thing I could share. There's no doubt, Jesus is Lord. And so he's going to talk about that over and over and over again. Today's question that we're going to look at in this message we're entitling Sent to Send More, or to Prepare More Senders. The question we're going to look at today is Are you a voice 
crying in the wilderness? Are you a voice for him crying in the wilderness of this world? And we're going to look at a life of John the Baptist. Rather than spend a lot of time kind of all over the place, we're just going to hopefully sort of sit and dwell on what does a sent life look like? And it looks like John the Baptist. So open up your Bibles to John chapter 1. It's where we were last week. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So it's the fourth gospel, fourth book of your New Testament. John chapter 1. If you remember, last week I challenged you with this. It says, in in the passage we looked at last week, in in verse 6 of John 1, it says, And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And I challenged you to insert your name there, to fill in the blank. And there was a man or a woman sent from God whose name was blank. And I asked you, could you put your name there? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the answer to that is we should. Right? As, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we will see again today that we are sent ones just like he is sent. So make this personal. Don't just make this about John the Baptist. Make this a personal uh, message. So we're going to look at the life of John, but his life should not be extraordinary all by itself. We should all be living like John lived. We're going to pick it up, and this first thing we're going to look at is John's ministry. So we're going to pick it up in verse 19 today. It says, this is the testimony of John... That's John the Baptist, not John. This is kind of confusing because John is a, the Apostle John who wrote the Gospel is not the John we're talking about right now. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Who was John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist, his title really ought to be John the Baptizer. He, there weren't Baptists then. It's describing what he did, not, not his denomination, because there were no denominations when he lived. But he was John the baptizer, and, and he is saying, I am not the Christ. Now, we're not going to spend a bunch of time. The other gospel writers spend more time kind of describing John. And if you are doing the daily readings that are now on the back of your bulletin instead of on the connecting points insert, or you're getting the devotional that we send out because you've gone to our website and you've signed up for the reading and responding to the word, Um, you're going to read more about John the Baptist in the other Gospels. And I share that, again, not just to make it a commercial for, I mean, I got on my soapbox last week about being in the Word every day. The daily readings are there not just for something to do, but because we really believe that being in the Word of God every day is, um, is really a prerequisite to following hard after Him. But also, in the context of the messages from Sunday to Sunday, all of the daily readings relate to the messages that you're going to hear. So the message you're going to hear today, the daily readings that go Monday through next Saturday are related to this message. And if you're not reading those, you're getting about half of the message, honestly. Because there's so much that I could share today that I'm not going to take the time to. And I have people challenge me and go, well, why don't we just slow down? And, and, and go through the book slower. Well, one, we're going to be in this letter, Lord willing, for seven months. That's a long time for us to be in one book of the Bible at Cornerstone. But also because I I don't feel like I have to explain it all to you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the same Holy Spirit in you that I do. So open up his word that's connected to the message, and you're going to get all those fill-in-the-blank moments that I'm just sort of skipping over. John, why, why had the people... So first of all, who is it that comes to John according to the verse that we just read? The priests and the Levites. So these are religious leaders. They're coming to him to find out what's going on. Why do they come to him? Because John the Baptist had become a rock star. He was becoming popular, and people from all over Israel were coming to him 
to be baptized. And, and the, the leaders of the day didn't like that, and they wanted to find out what was going on down there. So they're going down to, find, to question him because he was making disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. Before Jesus called his disciples, John had his own disciples. So let's pick it up there. It says in verse 21, Then I asked him, then they asked him, so these leaders asked him, So what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he, gave, and, and he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you so that we may give an answer to those who, who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said to them, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And again, those were the religious slash pseudo-political leaders of the time. But John is a model of, of what being sent looks like. Guys, we think of John, if you know much about him, as sort of this radical dude. His appearance was different. He was, he was out preaching, repent. Repent and believe in the gospel. He was out re preaching, repent and prepare your hearts for the coming of the Messiah. But guys, they're coming to him. These religious leaders are coming to him because they don't like what he's sharing. So here's a question I have for you, and for me too. If the, if the pseudo-religious slash political leaders of our day were coming to find out who the Christians were, who the real followers of Christ were, is there enough evidence in your life that they would know it was you? In other words, if they were rounding up Christians like the Nazis rounded up the Jews, would you be one of the people arrested? Would your Facebook page or your Twitter feed in any way indicate your faith in Jesus Christ? If they walked your neighborhood and knocked on the doors and they said, can you tell us who the Christians are in your neighborhood? Would your neighbors even know you're a believer? In your school, the, the place where you, where you are at school, I've seen students make a huge difference for the gospel in public school campuses. If they came and they started asking your fellow students, who are the Christians on this campus? Because we want to find out, would there be enough evidence in your life that people would even point to you? Right? What about your place of work? What about the places you frequent? It's one of the things that is so amazing about Brent Mattingly, and I'm excited to get to share the gospel on Thursday with them and pray for that, as Jeff said, but is that, is that Panera Bread, of all places, on 101st Avenue, uh, on 67th Avenue in the 101, is going to retire a chair in the name of Brent Mattingly because he was there every Thursday with a group of you men faithfully talking about Jesus Christ. And they know it. That place knows it because he was there. That place knows about Jesus because he was there. So, John found his sending in Scripture. He's quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3. Isaiah 40 prophesied, Isaiah prophesied about John 700 years before John came about. He says, in Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in him the desert of... the." in the desert, a highway for our God. But guys, we find our calling to go to be sent in Scripture also. Look at your being in community. It's on the back of the insert. We call it connecting points. It's the insert in your bulletin. On the back of it, there's this thing we call being a community. It's how are we together growing in our faith so that we can be better sent on mission. 
It's the so what. So it says, our sending is found in Scripture just like John's. Matthew 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But to, be, to better fulfill the call, we are to grow in grace and truth. As those who believe, we do that best in community. Being together to encourage one another to engage is a powerful witness to the world. There are two things here on earth that are eternal, the word of God and the souls of people. Let's invest well as we get to know him better, not as the end in itself, but as a means to the end. You know, Connor, um, Brent's oldest son, came to the Thursday group at Panera, and then he came to the leadership development group on Tuesday morning that we meet at Java Grounds right now um, because we lost our classroom, and so we're meeting there. And Connor came to share with us the impact that that group of men had on his dad that made his dad a better witness for the gospel. And it was just a powerful time to be reminded of how there is huge power, as Jeff was saying, even in these opportunities we make available, like retreat, like the trip to the Grand Canyon, like just being together before and after church, like our life groups, that there is power in the togetherness that is a, uni- that is a spirit-united church, which is a living entity. We are... We are and like a living organism together, and there's power in that. So if you're not connected, get connected. There are people that can help you do that at the connect table in the back when you go on your way out. Look at verse 25. It says, They asked him and said, Why then are you baptizing? If you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but one, but among you stands, this must have freaked them out, but among you stands one who you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. What was John's ministry? His ministry was to prepare a way. What was John's message? His message was to point people to Jesus Christ. And that's our next point. So look at verse 29. It says, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Now, if we were just talking physically, if, if John was only talking about like some birth order, that would not be a true statement because John was physically born before Jesus was physically born. So obviously he's not talking about physicality. What's he talking about? He's saying he is God eternal. He has always existed. And it says, after me comes a man whose rank is higher than I, for for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but now get this, guys. But so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. That word manifested, here's what that word means in the Greek. It means to make clearly apparent. What John is saying is that I came and I am baptizing to make clear to people that one is coming after me that is greater than I am, to make him manifest, to prepare the way. Guys, kind of implied in that is that John's actions are a prerequisite to Christ's coming. Let me say that again. John's actions are a prerequisite to Christ's coming. So what? Here's the what. He's coming again. That's right. Get busy. 
Because if, if John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way, and we are sent, as I just read in Matthew 28, to prepare the way. Prepare the way for what? His second coming. Right after Peter writes this thing about how a thousand years is like one day to the Lord and one day is like a thousand years, he says this in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Peter is saying there, guys, we, God, he tarries because some of you need to come to Christ. And he doesn't want any of you to be apart from him. So let's get busy about sharing him. Jesus puts it this way. It can be no more clear. Look, Matthew 24, 14. The gospel of the king. This is Jesus speaking. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Because that's our call. That is our call to be sent just like John the Baptist was. The question is, are we heeding it like he, is, like he did? In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us, multiple times he talks about this. He says that, that we are a, a manifestation, he actually uses that word, of his presence in every place. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, and then he goes on to say, to, we are the sweet aroma of Christ. To some it smells like death, to swam it, some is a, it is a sweet perfume. He goes on in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians to say, for you are ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors of Christ as if God were making an appeal through us, be reconciled to God. That is our call. It is, it is no different than the call that God had on John the Baptist's life. We just treat it differently because we don't want to be radical. We don't want to lose friends. We don't want to alienate family. What do you think John's family was thinking? Goodness. I mean, he, the bottom line is he didn't care because he knew who he believed in. Guys, John's message, when he says in verse 29, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's where I get this idea. I've been talking about this for over a year now. This idea for us that we talk about this idea of behold, believe, Become, behave. Too much of the Christian world talks about that last one. Behave. Right? I can get on that soapbox too, but the bottom line, it's got to start back where it started with John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God. Guys, when we behold Jesus Christ and the beauty that he is, that will cause us to believe. When we believe, we will become like him. When we become like him, our behavior will change. That's the reality. That should be our reality. But John the Baptist, look at it this way. Some of you, I, I've only watched bits and pieces of it. I don't even know if it's still on TV. That show, Extreme Preppers. Right? John the Baptist was the extreme prepper. These are the people that like, go and buy a piece of property out in the middle of nowhere, build a bunker, store up a bunch of food and a bunch of guns, and they're going to ride it out. And here's the sad part is, many of those people are professing followers of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you right now, there is no place in this book for that attitude. There is no place in this book for, for hunkering down and riding it out. There just isn't. What are you riding out? Bring it on. Right? I mean, if, if, if World War III is going to come and there's some nuclear thing, I want to go see Jesus. I don't want to ride it out. What in the world would I want to do that for? Like zombie nation or something? I don't know. Is that even a thing? I don't know if that's a thing. Sounded good. Guys, 
there is no call. John the Baptist was the first prepper, but he wasn't hunkering down. He was preparing a way. He was saying, I, I want him to come. I am going to prepare a way. This is how we make disciples, guys. How we make disciples is we, we don't pound people into duty. We don't tell them to behave. We don't say, stop smoking, stop drinking, stop that lifestyle and come to Christ. We say, here's who Jesus Christ is. And he loves you. And he died for you. And he is glorious and magnificent and beautiful and gracious. And when we see God change that heart of stone to a heart of flesh, that other stuff will change. How do I know? Because for 24 years of my 48 that was who I was. And as people unfolded the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ, and as God opened my eyes to who he is in his word, that stuff started to change in my life. Guys, I want to show you a powerful example of the message John preached. Turn just to the right of where we are, a couple of, one, well, a few pages, one book. Find Acts chapter 4. It's the next book in your Bible. It should be easy to find. Acts chapter 4, I'm going to pick it up in verse 8. This is Peter. Now what's happened is Jesus has, has ascended to heaven. The, the Holy Spirit has come at Pentecost. Peter gives these defiant speeches to the people that crucified Jesus. He's going to give one here and watch what happens. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now get this, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. That word filled here means just having just been filled. What, the, what he's saying here, what Luke is telling us in this part is he's saying that it, it, is, it is the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus gave in Luke 12. In Luke 12, 12, he says they're going to they're gonna drag you before the, the, the rulers, the government, the religious leaders. And he says, do not worry in that moment what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit in that very hour will give you the words to say. That's Luke 12, 12. Here's, Peter is experiencing that here. It says, filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to say, all right, Peter, you can't do what you're about to do alone. Here I come. He said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for the benefit done to a sick man as to how this man had been made well, because they'd healed the lame beggar. In, in chapter 3, the beggar's there at the temple, and they, he says, we don't have any money, but what we do have, we give to you in the name, get this, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand and walk. That's what Peter's referring to here. Verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of, of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you and is in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders which, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name on heaven and earth by which men might be saved. Guys, that sounds very exclusive. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Guys, it sounds incredibly exclusive, but the gospel is completely inclusive. That call that Jesus made, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, was for anyone who had ears to hear it. The call that Peter makes here, there is no other name on heaven and earth. That is, that is gospel truth. Anything other than that is not the gospel. To tell your friends that it's okay for them to believe what they believe 
when it's not the gospel that Jesus is the only way, is not loving them. It is sending them to hell. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter gives this speech, the people get a little freaked out. And they say, so what do we need to do to be saved? And he says this, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. There is power in baptism. So I ask again, like I did a few weeks ago, have you been baptized? Have you made a profession of faith and been baptized? Let's pick it back up in John. Go back to John chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up in verse 32. It says, John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and it remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. To get that whole story of what he's just talking about there, you're going to have to do your daily readings. But John IDs Jesus. John the Baptist says, I am telling you, this is the Son of God. That was John's message. Now the Gospel writer of John gives us this little aside. He says, he's going to sort of show, he's going to, he's going to bring the physical manifestation of Jesus into his gospel for the first time and kind of give us this little sidebar of an interaction between John the Baptist and Jesus. And that's our third point, Jesus multiplies. So we're going to quickly look at this. So pick it up in verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and looked at Jesus as he walked and said, behold, the Lamb of God. Guys, that was one of John, the gospel writer's favorite titles for Jesus. He's not the only one who uses it, but in Revelation, which John, the gospel writer, also writes, in Revelation, multiple times, he describes Jesus as the Lamb. In, John, in Revelation 5, he says, the Lamb that was slain. In Revelation 12, he says, and they, that's us, will overcome them. How? The By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, how we are living our lives according to the word. In, John, in Revelation 19, he talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. So this is this picture of the Lamb of God that's going to go to the cross, that's going to take away our sins. That's important. So important that at the very end of Revelation, in Revelation 21, he says, our names, if you're a follower of Christ, our names are written where? In the Lamb's book of life. Praise God. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and said to them, these are the first words John records that Jesus speaks. What do you seek? Isn't that a great question? So get the picture. John's, John's disciples are, are these, these two people of, that are John's disciples look over, you know, John's pointing out Jesus, so they start following Jesus, just physically following him. And Jesus turns around and says, so what do you seek? He asks them a question. It's the same question he's asking us. What do you seek? What are you seeking? It's a great question to ask your unbelieving friends, your unchurched family. What are you seeking? Then he says, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Guys, I want to point the key to following Jesus is being willing to go. He says, come and see. And they do. They don't go, yeah, but wait a second. You know, I got a business to run and I got a this to do and I got a that and I've got, you know, family. I got a... He just says, come and they do. 
but it's follow him in the hard places. One of the things I love about the ministry that we are engaged with in Costa Rica is that it's with Mark Cusdis, and we sent a team down there, it'll be, a, it'll be a year next month, is that his sort of subtitled line is sharing the gospel in the hard places of Costa Rica, Honduras, and Nicaragua. He's not down there on the beaches where the resorts are or in the jungles where all the tourists are. He's in the slums where Kyle spent two months and is, and is wanting to go back to, in January, sharing the gospel in the hard places. Jesus is saying to Kyle, come, come and see. Kyle's responding. It's pretty awesome, young man. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So Peter gets all the pub, but it's Andrew's fault that they started following Jesus. He found his, he found his own brother Simon and said, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John, and you will be called... Cephas, who's sitting right here. That's why I call Peter Cephas all the time. You will call, and, and he gets it. He knows. Which is translated Peter. The next day, he purposed to go into Galilee where he found Philip, one of the eventual other apostles. And he, says, he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him who Moses and the law of the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael, who ends up an apostle, says to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So they had a really bad opinion of that part of Israel. Philip said to him, Come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. That's Jesus' way of slapping Nathanael upside the head. He's like, I heard what you said about me. I heard that you said that because I'm from, is from Nazareth, there's something wrong with me. But he's just setting Nathaniel up. It's not to make him feel bad. It's to set him up. Because look what happens. Nathaniel says to him, how do you know me? He's, he's saying, how do you know what I just said? I wasn't even near you when I said it. And Jesus says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel answered and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. There's another ID. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you that you will, you will see heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Guys, following hard after Jesus is not giving up. It's getting more. Look, they get to see things that we would never, as a believer in Christ, things get to happen in your life that you would never get to experience apart from him. It's not giving up. It's getting. It's getting everything. Yeah, it's letting go so you can follow but you find out that it's worth it. I'm going to share more about that in just a minute. But look at your engage in the call. Sort of the, the now what. It says, Jesus calls his disciples on purpose for a purpose. If you are his, it is true for you as well. His call was a call to die, that they might truly live. The key to following hard after him is being willing to let go. When he says go, are you willing to be sent? Or are we so full of self Self-doubt, self-fear, self-worship, we selfishly refuse to be sent. Where are you feeling he is sending you? Pray, listen, and act. I mentioned it last week, but on the back table, we have a map of this area of town. And if, and if the area you've been sent to isn't on that map, just put a pin, but you feel called to it, put a pin at the edge of the map, near where it is. But we have these little pins 
little push pins in the back and some, and some markers. I asked you last week, and, I'll, and we'll continue to ask you, pray. Pray, where is God sending you? Not just where do you happen to live or go to school or go to work, but where do you feel God is calling you to engage for his sake? Put your initials on that pin and stick it on the map. That way we know as a church family, we got, God's got that area covered. We want to see a bunch of pins on the map, but only if you're serious about it. Not just to have the pins on the map. Some of you may know that in May of this year, I was blessed to get to go spend um, eight days in Israel. It was a 10-day trip. It was eight days. We walked 100 miles in eight days. It was a little different way of seeing Israel. Um, we backpacked. And while I was there, it was a very, um, it, God, you know, there's an awesome opportunities there, obviously, for God to speak to you. But one of the things, um, that the verse that he kept hitting me, hitting me with, that kept coming up over and over and over again, was this, was this section out of Matthew 24. It says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. You know, when I was there, I was just hugely burnt. I, I don't know why that verse, I was like, why does this verse keep coming to me? And it's because we're in this land where Jesus physically walked, and none of it has to do with Jesus Christ. It's all Jewish or Muslim. There's a tiny bit of um, what they call nominal Christians there, but evangelical Christianity is nowhere to be found, almost nowhere to be found in the promised land. So here's this world that was literally turned upside down by Jesus Christ and his apostles that has, there's no reference to him now. But then when I get back here, I am still burdened. Because I look at our world and I look at our nation and I look at my life sometimes and I go, is there any reference to Jesus Christ? Am I any different? Are you any different? Because lawlessness has increased, is my love growing cold? And as a pastor who believes with everything in me that I will stand before the Lord someday and give an account for you guys. Why? Because the word of God says I will. Guys, I get that I'm, that, that I'm preachy. I get that I'm pushy. I get that I sometimes act like I'm the Holy Spirit and tell you what to do. Please know, it is, out of, it is as out of a heart as a pastor that feels a massive burden for you, not in a bad way, but for you, like Paul did. Oh, that if, if I could just put the words in your mouth to be saved, I would. If I could put the, the love for Jesus in your heart that would drive you to mission, I would do it. Mostly because he's called me to. But all I can do is preach it. So I'm going to keep preaching it. Here's what I wrote while I was there, or right after I got back, actually. While I was standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, the Lord reminded me of the scene in Luke chapter 5. When Jesus the carpenter and the itinerant rabbi walked up to Peter, who had worked hard all night and was cleaning his nets, so that he could come home and get some rest, Jesus says, let's go fishing. And Peter reluctantly agrees, but the one in the boat with Peter was the one who spoke all of creation into existence, the one who calms the storms, the one who walks on the water, the one who saves sinners. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. That's what we just read. Guys, get this. At that moment, Philip, Nathaniel, Peter, Andrew, James, and John left everything, all of the life they knew, and followed Jesus. 
believe me, it was a hard, hilly road. I got a new appreciation for what that meant when I was there. It was not flat. They walked hundreds of miles, experienced many hardships, encountered great opposition, and suffered greatly for their Savior. But here is what we all know to be true. When they reached the end of their days and went to receive the reward from the Ancient of Days in eternity, not one of them would have ever said, I wish I had just been one of the throngs of people who believed in Jesus and punched my ticket, but didn't passionately and radically follow him. No. That is not what someone who has truly walked the hard road with him will ever say. They would say, yes, the journey with Jesus was hard, but the adventure was unforgettable, and the eternal impact immeasurable. True, we had to let go of a lot, but what we gained and how we grew is far more than payment in full. It may be so that our sacrifice was great from a worldly perspective, but in light of all that he sacrificed for us, and in the view of the unsurpassed riches of his glory in Christ that have been given to us for all eternity, we get this now, guys. If you zoned out, listen. We cannot imagine the loss that would have been experienced had we not laid down our nets and followed hard after him. Guys, don't just read this account of Jesus calling his disciples and go, yeah, that was a great call. The eternal reward they gained by following him. They, they would have taken none of it. They, they would have taken none of what they sacrificed back. And all but John died for it. Was executed for it. But it was all worth it. Are we laying up our treasure in heaven? Because that's all that's going to matter. In the end, it's all that's going to matter. All of this earthly pursuit is going to have no meaning when he comes again. So let's look at, we're going to quickly look at John's moment, our last point. And it just takes a minute. We're going to use it to go into communion. Look at John chapter 3. This is kind of the last scene that we get of John or in, in, John's go, in, in this gospel. And so we're just going to kind of wrap up John's life by looking at this. So what happens here is, we're going to pick it up in verse 26. It says, And they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who was beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all, and all of our people are coming to him. So John the Baptist's disciples are upset that, John's, that, that their numbers are going down and Jesus' numbers are going up. They were numbers driven even back then, just like the church so, so sadly is today. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him by the Father. What an amazing picture of humility. John's going, you know what? I got nothing. Anything that I had wasn't mine anyway. It was his. How easy it is for us to get inflated like God somehow needs me. Like, man, look at the, look at the favor I'm doing Jesus. John's like, it, it, none of it was ours anyway, guys. Let it go. Jump down to verse 29. It says, he who has the bride... He's describing us, we're the bride of Christ, is the bridegroom, that's Jesus. But the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hear him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. Guys, get this. John's motivation for doing what he did was his love for his friend, Jesus Christ. Jesus calls us his friend. Now get this, this is one of the most amazing this, this last verse that we're going to end on is one of the most amazing statements in all of Scripture. He must increase, but I must decrease. 
He's saying he must become more and more and I must become less and less. The question for us is, is that our lives? Right? That was the mindset that John the Baptist had. The, his whole goal of making disciples was to point people, was to point them to Christ. I don't want people following me, but only to the extent that we are walking together to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. Because I'm not the answer, Jesus Christ is the answer. You're not the answer, Jesus Christ is the answer. So here's the question. Are you? Are you pointing people to Jesus Christ? Where are you on the, so he must increase, I must decrease? On the back of your connecting points, there's what we're calling reacting to his will. Right now, in this moment, take a minute and ask the question, what is the Spirit speaking to you? What is he telling you through this? And then, what does he want you to go and do? Write it down. Guys, if you're sitting here right now, I'm going to make you feel awkward. If you're not writing something, shame. Shame on you. Bring a pen to church. Write it down. Don't, because otherwise, here's what happens. 90% of what I say today leaves your brain as soon as I get done saying it. Write it down. Make a commitment. Not to me. I'm not asking you to turn it in. To you. Write it down. What is he asking you to do? John, the gospel writer, says, he, who, he, he tells us that these things are written that we might believe and that believing we would have life in his name. John the Baptist said it this way in verse 36. He who believes is the Son, in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Let's pray. So, Father, I come to you right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ the name above all names, and I pray first and foremost for the eternity of those that don't know you, whether that be people that are in this room right now or people that will listen to this message later online or whatever it is, Father, I pray that in the, mo in the moment that they hear your word, you would open their eyes. That like the blind man or the deaf man, that, that we would see clearly for the first time, that we would hear the beauty of your voice. Those who believe will have eternal life and those that don't will have eternal life, but it will be to their destruction. And that is not something we take lightly. But Lord, I do pray for those of us that do believe, that have already confessed, that are followers. Lord, I pray that we would, that there would be evidence in our lives to demonstrate that. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just come to church on Sunday to punch our ticket, but that our ticket would become our treasure. That we would walk out of here, commit with whatever we just committed to, to actually seeing that happen for your glory in us and through us. Lord, I thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that has gone out, that is going out to all the world, that is changing hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. There is power in the name of Jesus. You are still saving sinners. You are still calming storms. You are our Savior. You are our Lord. Thank you for grace. In Jesus Christ, in his name we pray. Amen.